welcome to Disc Roundup. The computer code, connected computers and internet has heralded both beginnings and ends. Now, as the computer code and connected computers blurred the line between cyberspace, geospace and space, and as cyberspace is getting deeply embedded across each component of a nation, that is its government, industries, organizations and academia, its crowded interconnections bring complex, chaotic and challenging time for everyone. Now, these growing interconnections and interdependencies raise an important question on whether our current risk management framework, tools, technologies and processes are effective in identifying, evaluating and managing the integrated risk. Now, since integrated risks are not even clearly understood, and when the computer code, com connected computers and the ecosystem that make the cyberspace bring begin to bring complex challenges and complexities to everyone and to everything from geospace to space, the question is whether we need a new way of identifying, evaluating and managing integrated risk. To discuss managing integrated risk further, I'm delighted to welcome Dr. Miles Smith to Risk Roundup. Dr. Smith is from Risk Advisory and Strategy Practice at Tracker Network Canada. Welcome, Dr. Smith. We are honored to have you on Risk Roundup. Very glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me to speak with you. Wonderful, Dr. Smith. So what do we know about the risks that are emerging from across cyberspace, geospace and space due to connected computers, computer code and internet? And when we start evaluating all these, you know, risks that are emerging, the question emerges that who does cyberspace, geospace and space belong to now and who is accountable for managing the very complex interconnected risks that are emerging? Well, it's, it's, it's a great question. It's a very broad one. Uh, I, I can tell you a little bit about uh, the philosophy uh, that, that we've um, formulated a tracker and that's resonated well with a lot of people is if it ever worked, uh, the old model that you kind of build a fort around your enterprise and you keep threats or risks at bay using walls, so to speak, or you know, blanket policies um, is, is not really viable in a world of extremely wide ranging and interconnected risk that can implicate or can impact your company at a third party or you know remote uh, sphere of, of, of action. So things that happen uh, remotely can trigger uh, third party uh, risks that, that touch close to the center of an enterprise. And just from the from the narrower question of the data data front, you know, people's information and data are extruded now. They're, they're not uh, they're not in systems. They're on iPads. They're on personal devices. Uh, they're accessible in, in countless ways. So I think the the uh, the starting point for us was realizing what a broad and important business risk cyber risk is, uh, what a a um, what a general enterprise risk, information and technology risks are, and that perspective uh, was relevant to people like CIOs who were. Uh, keen or willing to take a business-oriented perspective as opposed to just managing things like uptime. Uh, and also, I think, increasingly executives who might have gone through uh, business training before uh, technology became and digital became such an important part of almost every kind of, of enterprise began to realize that there were some questions that they needed to ask their CIOs that weren't of a purely technical nature, um, but but related to the not just the security, but the well-being, the reputation, the continuity, the operational viability uh, of the company. 
And so that blurring line between cyber risk as a technical or geek area and business risk, um, which is touched by technology and rests on it in almost every way, um, led us to think from our background in, in cyber risk, cybersecurity, towards a more enterprise risk oriented uh, approach. And, and I think one of the most important lessons was uh, that although people uh, take a, a take different views of, of what enterprise risk is all about, it's almost always something which is on the one hand impacted by technology and on the other hand is really enabled by culture. Uh, so, you know, means and uh, measures and tools and protocols are one thing. Any kind of uh, compliance or risk management framework is one thing. Uh, some of them are necessary for, for, for uh, regulatory reasons or, or for other necessities. But uh, the bottom line comes down often to resilience, the ability of an organization to identify its risks, to characterize them in a way that's accurate and communicable, and then to start looking at meaningful and, and viable responses. Yes, very true. I mean, there, there, if we look at the enterprise, now the risks that are emerging within an enterprise or, you know, the risks that we see are two different categories we can, you know, broadly define. One is independent risk that any organization, any entity, any enterprise can manage on its own, irrespective of what risk management framework they use or what processes they have independent risk they will be able to manage but because of the connected computers in cyberspace and in the internet the nature of the risk emerging the interconnected interdependent risk that are emerging that there is no way there is any entity on earth you know on, across any nation that they will be able to manage those interconnected interdependent or integrated risk on their own because there are so many interconnections and interdependencies and at this point we just don't have any framework that can manage those interconnected interdependent risk and there is no organization that is you know looking at uh, managing interconnected interdependent risk now because of cyberspace it is not only the information security and the data security that is at risk but basically each and every model or the way we do things, the product services, everything is at risk because everything is being redefined and redesigned. So there are many different nature of you know risks that are emerging because of cyberspace in not only cyberspace, but in geospace and space, the infrastructure is at risk, our space initiatives at risk, everything is at risk because the computer code and connected computers is uh, making everything vulnerable. So. Before we go into discussing all those risks, let's you know first talk about what approach nations currently are using to managing their integrated risk. From your assessment, what is the approach by how you know organizations are managing the inter integrated interconnected risk? Well, you made a couple of, of wide ranging but interesting points there. Uh, I'll, I'll just touch on a, a, a couple that I think stand out. One is I think in, in effectively you made the point that systemic risks, so risks that can threaten sectors of an economy or, or uh, can threaten a nation or a big chunk of a society, usually emerge out of risks that aggregate at a small level. So for example, if, if everybody's computers are unguarded uh, and, and can be turned into bots, uh, you, you, you get uh, basically an aggregate effect of the security 
precautions or the basic risk management that ordinary people, small companies, companies of all size, either take or don't take. So I think you know a, a lot of policymakers are are interested, among other things, in communicating steps that ordinary people uh, can make to get, can take to make uh, resilience a little bit greater at the granular level, right? So I mean, if you look at a company. The percentage of people who keep their passwords current and strong uh, and secure, uh, or who don't, you know, plug in uh, found um, data sticks, things like that, those kind of really micro level habits affect the welfare of of a, of a company. And then, as those habits are found across the the organizations that make up a national economy, you get national and systemic risks. Uh, effects positive or negative out of those small behaviors. Uh, I think you also made a point about technology as one category of enterprise risk management that is relevant not only because digital and technology touch so much more of what we do now, but also because of the velocity of it, right? So one dimension of, of risk uh, in enterprise risk management discussions and elsewhere that I think you're hearing more about is the dimension of velocity, right? I mean, certainly there are risks that have high potential impact. There are risks that have high probability. Uh, there are the black swans, which might be seen as you know very low probability, but very high impact. There are all those ways of framing and filtering out risks. But, but what uh, cyber and information and technology risk have that I think a lot of executives and boards uh, also are increasingly aware is a high velocity. And that means that if you've got a kind of risk management cycle that's annual or even quarterly, that's much, much slower than the cycle on which um, threats that aren't just technical, they're not just about downtime, but relate to reputation. You, know, you think about the Panama Papers stories, the kind of, of cyber incidents that make the front page of newspapers or the front page of the business section. Those things are very fast moving. So I think people are looking at ways to make their risk management cycle more agile, more continuous, ongoing and nimble. And I think that one of the motivations for that, though not the only one, uh, is, uh, is, is the cyber dimension that you're talking about. And I'll, just, I'll just jump in on one other thing that I think you wanted to talk about uh, for a couple minutes now, and that is that kind of continuity of space, right? And you think about the, uh, the famous uh, Stuxnet hacking uh, in Iran was a combination of a lot of systems and software knowledge and also an ability to breach air gaps. And a senior uh, infrastructure executive, senior hydro executive here in Ontario and Canada said that what he really worries about is the, the point where cyber or technology meets the human. Like you've got a lot of remote or system edge technology, which could be systematically significant or, or cyber vulnerable. And if that is in a place that is remote but accessible to a bad actor, you've got a really complicated stack of factors that are spatial, as you said, they're logistical, they're mechanical, they're human in terms of you know, what motivates or might incentivize a person to, uh, to try to profit or otherwise do harm uh, by, by either violating internal protocols or just coming in as an external bad actor. And then how does your technological posture stand up against that, that, um, that stack of threats? And I think that that is a, a good summary of why the broad or global integrated risk management or enterprise risk management conversation is such a timely one now. Yes, absolutely. It is a timely one and it is much needed that we come up with an effective way because cyberspace is not, you know, 
it's a contested common. It is not, uh, uh, and we don't have boundaries in cyberspace that, you know, the United States has this, uh, this much cyberspace, you know, that Canada has this much. It is a contested common and any, any security risk can emerge from anywhere. All they need is the internet connection and, you know, uh, desire to harm, you know, others, any irrespective of what component of a nation we are talking about. So as we evaluate all these emerging threats from across nations coming from cyberspace, uh, do you see a need for a new way of identifying, evaluating and managing risk? Because we at Risk Group very firmly believe that it is time that we re-evaluate the very approach to risk management and redefine, redesign, and propose a robust, integrated cybersecurity risk management framework. And when I say cybersecurity, it is a framework that just not talks about cyberspace or that just doesn't, you know, address cyberspace risk, but also the risk emerging from geospace as well as uh, space. So it's an integrated cyberspace, geospace, space, you know, risk management framework. That is something that we very much need that would give nations a capability to effectively research, review, rate, and report not only cyberspace and cybersecurity risk, but also geosecurity and space security risk. Yeah, yeah I, I think um, just a couple of things there to, to recoup a point that I didn't quite uh, finish properly, and I, and I think speaks to what you're what you're saying is the old model of of, of outside in defense, where the idea is that your your uh, your data was all in one place. And you didn't want people penetrating a barrier to get at it. It's been replaced by this, what I was calling extruded data, where it's effectively everywhere or it's accessible from an infinite or indefinite number of nodes. So it's not in a, a place that you can defend with a clearly defined perimeter and a limited number of access points. And that's led people to go from an outside-in approach to an inside-out, build from resilience, build from practices, focus on crown jewels, pay close attention to the things which reputationally and otherwise you, you don't want compromise and focus on the ability to manage behaviors uh, in an economized way, meaning focus people's limited attention and willingness to, to follow protocols on the things that really have the highest impact. So I think there's, there's an inside out approach that is local. The reason I bring that up is you're asking about what um, nation states and other you know, governing bodies can do. And, and I think it's the right question, but at the same time, I think what we're seeing is ground up bottom up as at least as much as top down as being the place where we find the most effective solutions. Here in Canada, we had a lot of internal discussions, you know, at panel dinners and at think tanks and whatnot, about the fact that we lagged behind some other uh, developed economies in terms of our the seriousness with which we were confronting really systematic, persistent cyber threats and, and other technology driven enterprise threats. And one of the consultant led proposals was to, to, to be a little better at risk sharing or threat sharing. That means uh, collaboration among peers initiated on a peer-to-peer -peer basis from the, from the bottom up, not necessarily waiting for regulators to take the lead and talk about not just the threats you were seeing, but the effectiveness of certain types of response. Uh, and sometimes that's, you know, just table stakes that companies can do. They're not in-house secrets. They're just practices that, that peers in a banking sector or in another important critical sector can share to reduce their own in-house risk and also systematic risk, you know, risk that's contagious across the, the, the players in, a, in an economic niche, for example. I also think uh, the, the, the bottom-up approach 
uh, is important in terms of just gathering information about how external realities and external events affect an organization, right? Because I really think uh, that thought-provoking ISO definition about the effect of uncertainty on objectives is, is helpful in some ways. It's not the first intuitive definition of risk you'd come up with. You, you know, you'd normally reach for something like the, the probability that something would happen times the impact if it does happen. But if you really look at, at how risk works, it's about incentives, which means that the probability of a thing and the impact of a thing differ greatly by people's skin in the game. That's the, the new theme that Nassim Nicholas Taleb has pushed, and I think he's right to do so. So I, I think um, really local responses to risk um, make a big difference, whether it's someone who isn't properly incentivized to be vigilant, although they're a person with a lot of the information or perspective on a risk as it might emerge, or um, backing up, uh, reinforcing, uh, supporting the incentives that help people on the front line, not just in the audit part of a company, for example, to contribute insight into risk and to contribute to the mitigation cycle um, because they're close, right? They're not, they're not at the top of a regulatory chain, but they're close to the operational realities, which is where the impact of a risk could be felt. I, I don't know if that, uh, if that uh, resonates with the, the perspective you're, you're bringing, but uh, that's certainly what we're seeing in a lot of different ways, actually. Yeah, absolutely. That's what we are proposing because, see, risk vulnerabilities do not arise only from technology. It it arises from inadequacies in governance uh, or processes or management or investment regulations, insurance, culture, motivation, interconnection, interdependencies, and integration. So each and every individual and entity across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia is now vulnerable to integrated risk. So we have to define the changes in the way we manage integrated risk because uh, at this point if you look at uh, how a lot of you know risk are managed is that when a corporation or entity you know comes up with identifies a risk that they think that they can is is going to impact them but it is better if they just transfer the risk you know purchases the insurance policy they transfer the risk from them so they they are not going to financially be impacted and they think that their the work is done. They don't have to worry about that risk anymore. And then those risks keeps becoming bigger and bigger. Now, in cyber the cybersecurity risks that are emerging, if we start managing like that, where we are not transparent and when we are not accountable to managing those risks uh, effectively, in the sense that we, if and organizations don't put effective risk management framework within their organization, if not everyone is involved in identifying all different risk variables, all different kinds of risk, and if they start just transferring their risk, then there is absolutely no way we'll be man able to manage the integrated risk effectively. So this is a very different kind of uh, risk that are emerging. The integrated risks that are emerging are very different natures. So I, do you see that risk management system needs the same holistic approach? Because if you look at that, irrespective of whether we are looking at cybersecurity system, geosecurity system, or a space security system, any and all systems needs to be evaluated holistically and collectively, and not merely as a sum of its parts. We cannot do silo risk management anymore. The nature of the risk emerging are very, very different and very complex. So uh, we feel strongly that we need a holistic approach where everyone is involved and when we look at the risk emerging broadly, you know, irrespective of whether at a national, le global level, national level, or industry level or enterprise level. 
You know, we have to look at the risk very broadly because there are so many interconnections and interdependencies emerging. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I think it goes to two things at least. One is um, the, the, the importance of the distinction between having tools or having technology and having real risk management practices. Uh, and the other is the difference between having, say, a framework and having a risk culture. Um, so, I mean, it, it, one uh, very senior uh, technology officer at one of uh, Canada's leading hospital networks we spoke with uh, was talking with us about tools that they might use to strengthen their, their risk management framework. And he made, I think, the very smart point that he didn't want to put in a tool first. He wanted to make sure that the culture is in place because otherwise people would think that the tool would do the work. And I think that's an old um, IT department uh, centered way of thinking uh, that we're, we're moving past uh, that's similar to the audit centric way of thinking. Uh, for one thing, it, it's not possible to rely solely on a checklist or a framework, no matter how well thought through, you know, the, the COSO frameworks, the ISO frameworks, a great deal of thought and, and experience and practice and aggregation of insight went into those things. But you can bolt those in and say that you have a framework. And that's not at all the same thing as having the ability distributed across the people of your organization to identify risks astutely, to prioritize them accurately, to think about the causes that feed into them in a sensible way, to look at the impacts that flow out of them in a way that's relevant to the, the perspective of the organization, and then to look at mitigations before and after events, if there are any that are doable. Uh, so I, I think that that calls for understanding that risk management is about the awareness and habits and practices, as well as processes of, of, a, of a team of people, uh, more than it is about the having some sort of framework in place. And it's also impossible to rely on some sort of mechanical guarantee, whether that's the presence of a, a protocol or the presence of some kind of tool or technology that's in place. Um, the, the, the risk culture, which means in effect, I think the incentives tells you, predicts better than any other single thing, um, how ready or how resilient an organization is in the face of a set of risks. I, you know, you, you, that's, that's a fairly pointed way of putting it, but it, I, I think it gets to the nub of what you're saying. Yes, no, I agree with you because at this point, I don't see that we have a culture of integrated risk management or we don't have a culture of accountability. The responsibility that even individuals or entities, they feel that they are accountable for the risk emerging for, for within, you know, from beneath their corporate boundaries that they are responsible to manage those risks effectively and not just transfer the risk. That's why in our risk management framework that we have proposed, uh, we have uh, defined very clear, you know, boundaries that if there are risks that any organization can manage that are emerging from within their corporate boundaries and if they are it's possible for them to manage effectively then those risks should never be allowed to be transferred those risks should never be allowed to be purchased insurance policy for that if we don't come up with very effective uh, processes of managing risk or what are independent risk and what are interdependent risk or what risk can be transferred if we don't come up with those effective way if we don't tie accountability to individual actions and decisions if we don't come up with incentive structure like you know there are across nations across every entity people are identifying you know risk it's not that the risks are not identified but a lot of risks are not reported they're not you know the 
taken to the next level because people feel that what is in it for them? You know, why should they uh, get involved in managing those risks or, you know, reporting those risks? Because it will just bring them a liability. So we do need to come up with an effective structure in which that there is an incentive for individuals or entities to report those risks and then so that we can effectively there are that we can come up with an organizational structure where we can effectively manage those risks but the culture of integrated risk management of the culture of you know being accountable is not that and today everything across cyberspace geospace space is at risk because of the connected computers and computer cores and Moreover, the approach to risk and how we manage risk is also currently largely reactive. And this reactive response approach limits, I feel, that entire nation's ability to have a proactive integrated risk management capability. And unless risk management becomes a collective proactive initiative, there will always be recurring incidents of crisis across cyberspace, geospace, and space with varied levels of impact and you know intensity. So, do you see that is there a collective mindset and effort, effort across any nation to manage their nation's integrated risk? I mean, perhaps not, and perhaps one reason uh, you could point to many is that I'm not sure that the textbook or benchmark example is being set at the stop uh, at the top you know so you, know, you mentioned the nation the nation uh, level management of risks or, or just addressing culture I think the fatalism and the sense of impunity that people associate with you know risks that people have even though they can be uh, catastrophic people have gotten used to but the risk of hacks breaches leaks uh, cyber instances of all kinds and and, and other things I, I think people are used to uh, the idea that it's inevitable as opposed to something that you can ward off. So, you know, there's that sort of shorthand in terms of cyber breaches that there, 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 there are only people who have been breached and know it and people who have been breached and don't know it. So a certain amount of fatalism has been perceived and communicated in some ways rewarded. And that's maybe one of the uh, incentives or drivers leading towards an insurance approach to some of those risks that just seem unaddressable. Um, but also, I mean, you know, if, if you look at uh, in the United States, I think you might have congressional hearings uh, involving a, a breach that affected, say, a government employee database. And the large firms that were partly responsible for that would get more government work uh, either to help <laughs> patch the problem or, or just to go about their business. Right. So I'm not sure that from the top down, we're necessarily communicating the best practices. And I think people individually and psychologically are astute. They perceive skin in the game. In other words, they, they perceive whether uh, a risk really touches them. It, it, for example, are they going to be blamed or fired? And those kind of things are highly motivating. And they also can tell whether or not leadership, whether it's in their company or in their society or from the government level or, or the regulator level, whether, whether leadership is demonstrating the best examples. And I'm not sure that, that that's always the case. No, I, I hear your point on that. And I, I see why there is the... Uh, way we manage risk that, you know that is out there because like you said you know people feel that you know they can they don't have to get involved you know that these things happens i mean i had a discussion with many decision makers from across nations and i hear everyone you know saying uh, the same kind of you know uh, thought leadership that you know there are certain things we can do certain things we cannot do but i feel that you know the com Connected computers and computer code has changed everything because think about it today, 
any brilliant, we are not talking only about the cybersecurity breaches or data security or information security breaches. Uh, that is just one aspect. Today, any brilliant computer scientist or, or anyone with a desire to create, let's say, you know, uh, entirely new organism from scratch using CRISPR technology and ability to write the code itself, like a com brilliant computer scientist can write a genetic code and create an entirely new organism. Sitting, you know, synthetic biology, you know, using that people can uh, create pathogens and then, you know, wipe out any nation's, you know, agriculture or, you know, can electronic warfare, any kind of the nature of the risk, complex risks that are emerging cannot be managed with the, you know, mindset that we have currently that let's just, you know, look at the data security bridges. That is just a very small aspect. The nature of the risks that are emerging are so complex and so big that, you know, even the future of humanity is at risk now. So how, is it, do we just have to, you know, sit back and wait and see, okay, let's just wait and see, you know, how the, you know, what kind of risks are emerging and how, you know, organizations are managing or how uh, our top leadership is telling us. I think everybody needs to get involved from the bottom up. We need a framework which allows to identify, to research these kind of risks, the do-it-yourself moment and the democratization of information is bringing us so, I mean, while it is wonderful, it, it gives us a lot of potential of progress and development. It also brings us so many critical security risks. And with the current risk management framework that we have, there is absolutely no way we will be able to identify any of those risks emerging. What kind of malwares are being created? What kind of electronic warfare? What what kind of you know pathogens are you know coming our way? Who is you know doing what? You know there is absolutely no way of knowing any of that with the current risk management framework, and we don't even have a common risk language. I mean, if you look at the even the traditional risk management framework that we have, each and every nation manages the risk you know in a, their own ways. There is not even a common risk language, so. We this is a very different time, and we have to be careful in how we manage in the, the complex challenges emerging because of the cyberspace and manage the security risk emerging from that. So the question is, how can that be achieved when individual security currently is tied to collective you know, nation security, external security threats? have ties to internal security threats and inter interconnected, interdependent, integrated risk are simply ignored. So these are very complex. Uh, I mean, the, the risks that can be effectively managed are routinely transferred. Risk insurance is the most visible risk management tool. And most resources are spent on compliance over prevention and on management of risk. So this is a very complex, you know, challenges that I see in the way we manage risk. Uh, it's, it's fair enough. I mean, of course, it's, it's easy to get overwhelmed, right? Because uh, the threat environment itself is not only replete with threats, but as we mentioned earlier, the, the velocity of threats is is increasing in, on a number of fronts. And also they're coming from threats that are hard to categorize. I mean, they're, they're coming from uh, actors in the shadows using tools we didn't even know exist until they hit, all that stuff. So I think one of the, one of the ways that people who are experimenting in, in, you know, in small and in large ways and, and, and therefore maybe setting the risk management examples of the future that other people can emulate. One of the things I think that they're doing is 
um, taking an executive approach, which is to focus on the important things. So you remember that sort of Peter Drucker maxim that the, that the executive approach is to, is to focus on the, the thing where you can make the largest difference and dedicate yourself to that one thing at a time. Uh, I hope I haven't mangled that too badly, but you get the idea. You, you go from, a, um, from noise to manageable signal. And I think what a lot of people are doing is on the one hand, broadening um, their listening spectrum. So they're not going to total risk democracy where you just simply vote everything and make your decisions based on, on everyone's vote. But you are going outside the silo. You're going outside the audit function, outside the dedicated risk managers uh, and the regulatory or legal department. And you are using simple things like workshops to gather everything from risk identification to causes and mitigations from people who have first line knowledge. That's one thing. So you, 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 you listen broadly internally to, to, the, to the people in your team, which are the people who you have a high trust environment with. Those are the people who can give you the most, uh, the best confidence, the best trust, the best insight. And they're also the best position to make a difference. The people who are close to you and are committed uh, to the organization. So you, you start attacking your, your problems locally and then you, you go a little bit, um, more uh, coarse grained than these massive frameworks with, you know, 300 questions or hundreds or thousands of data points. I think at the audit committee level, some boards are starting now to say that they want to go beyond uh, risk registers that might have dozens or hundreds of risks on them. They want to go to a top 10 or top 20 perspective, which can be a changing landscape of threats that are either critical or relevant or moving fast. And, and make sure that they've got a, a really uh, business language narrative around those things. What's the nature of what we're worried about? Where are we positioned relative to that? What are the causes that we think we can at least identify and perhaps affect that feed into it? And what are the impacts that are really relevant to us uh, that flow out of that? And, and what mitigations are, in, are available to sort of cut that risk down? I think whether you're the organization that's facing a risk or even if you're an insurer who's uh, dealing with sort of outsourced risk, so to speak, you're interested in moving to that more proactive footing. And that's happening uh, at the local level. I think, you know, leader teams or champions inside companies, uh, organizations that are benchmarks for their industry. And I think as, as that kind of experimentation on the essential uh, gathers a bit of steam in adapting to this new environment that you're talking about. Uh, examples will be set that others can emulate. But I think we're already starting to see some patterns and, and, and they, re they relate to keeping the information living. So don't just have the strategy binder on the shelf or on the desk, but you know, have an ongoing exercise that loops from identifying the risk through uh, you know, your mitigation exercise, your monitoring and your review of, of, of how uh, how your practices and your capabilities and your your efforts stand. Are they working? Are they not working? Uh, who needs to be involved? Who needs to be given accountability? Who needs to be empowered to assume accountability? Because, of course, it's one thing to state that people need to be accountable. It's another to give them, uh, at the very least, the voice and maybe the discretion uh, to, to take actions proactively or reactively. But I do think you're right about but one thing for sure, um, I think a lot of people, whether they're insurers or people who help put out fires, you know, crisis management people across a, a number of, of, of topical risk areas are saying that they hear from people more post-incident than pre-incident. And I think it's in everyone's it's in everyone's interest to move towards a culture where one of our corporate priorities is to build resilience and capability pre-event, to have a sense of what the events are that we most need to worry about and to have kind of stand up 
capabilities or go bags, as they sometimes call it, for those for those key scenarios. It can make a big difference, obviously. Sure, sure. It makes a difference of, 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 of reputation, but also just organizational continuity, business continuity. Sure. I mean, it's uh, not only reputation, but it's the survival and security uh, of, or sustainability of uh, all the initiatives in our organizations uh, is at play here. So when we talk about integrated risk management, what do you what do you see the organizations that you are dealing with? What do they mean by that? And how effective is their current risk management framework in managing integrated risk? Well, one thing that, that's been really interesting for me is I've reached out to people in this area, enterprise risk management and integrated risk management, to get their opinion about what they think are the essentials worldwide. So I use LinkedIn, and I've heard from people from Ghana, from Israel, from India, from the United States, here in Canada, across Europe, whatnot. And on the one hand, uh, it's clear that these are terms that mean a lot of different things to different people. Some people have more of a quantitative focus. Some people have a set of technical tools, and those are those are the tools through which they get some purchase on risk, especially risk that can be measured uh, in terms of dollars or some other real hard measurable uh, impact area. Uh, but uh, apart from the diversity of perspectives on what it means and what it's about, in other words, what's the what's the essence of it? Um, you're seeing people looking to move up the maturity curve in terms of their ERM and IRM capability globally. So in, in all the places that I, that I mentioned to you. Uh, and at the same time, I, I think there is this agreement that um, you can't do effective risk management without kind of quantitative insights. But at the same time, that kind of narrative, you know, risk story is an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, getting input so a kind of structured or at least partial risk democracy is important for a number of reasons, not just because you want uh, people to, to feel like they've had a say or to offer insights that might have been missed. Sometimes you have to make risks public in a way that you at least overcome the cost of discovery. Because when you think about the reputational aspect of risk, there is a behavioral incentive that exists sometimes that it is better to run into a risk event um, that nobody knew about than to have it happen and you knew about it and tried uh, unsuccessfully to, to mitigate. So that's not always the case, but there's clearly a kind of psychological and, and real organizational cost of discovery where it's expedient not necessarily to have a candid inventory of risks. That's sometimes the case because of internal politics. It's sometimes because, uh, the case because the organization, like a municipality, has public and political visibility. There are lots of reasons, but uh, you know, I, I think the, the value of a, a democratic approach to uh, incentivize sunlight is an important part of, of that global perspective of getting out of the siloed approach you were talking about. Uh, and at the same time, I think that people are, are interested in anything that at least makes the kind of old fashioned business case or value proposition that some of the financial service innovations offered. And, and just for example, if, if you're insuring risk, and you can determine that there are overlapping or redundant um, costs of risk management in your organization. That's that's a that's a cost saving opportunity. If you do a three hundred and sixty degree discussion, you may you may discover that you're either spending time, effort, and money on risk management that's um, beyond your risk appetite. So you're managing you know you're managing down to orange or down to yellow when you'd be happy to be at orange, for example. Um, or, or there's just straight duplication and there's a chance to save 
cost, time, and effort. So the, sometimes when you get to the paycheck, you, you have the, the kind of incentive you really want to, uh, to, to make steps forward in your risk management practice. Uh, but I think, I think ERM and IRM are topical worldwide now across every sector that I've seen, whether it's finance, whether it's health, whether it's industry and infrastructure, uh, and it's global. So that developing economies, as they build banking capability, financial system capability, they're, they're wanting to bootstrap up uh, their IRM, ERM capability. And what I find is encouraging is the public, the broader public sector is taking it seriously. So, so um, permanent organizations that might have a, you know, a permanent government charter or mandate that might have been seen as being immune to risks in some ways that the private sector aren't, they're beginning to, to on their own initiative or, or, or with direction, to, to take IRM and ERM more seriously, which is an encouraging development. Sure, it is an encouraging development, no doubt about it. It's the first good step. But do you see a need for an approach that addresses the changing nature of security risk emerging from cyberspace, geospace space, or that addresses both independent risk along with interdependent, interconnected, and integrated security risk, and where the security risk ownership is clearly defined, and where there is accountability for managing security risk, where, and which prevents transfer of security risk and gives us an ability to identify interconnected and interdependent risk that, and also provides incentive to bring accountability in individual action and decision. And most importantly, that provides a framework that brings trust in the system. Do you see a need for all that? We do, do, I do see it. I mean, that's that's part of what we do now. We, we built our own software as a service tools to help make uh, getting the essentials done uh, smoother, more agile and simpler, and also to help with things like the visualization of, uh, of risk data to make the impact and the narrative aspect stronger. But there's always a consulting angle around that. And, and actually, I think whether it's the large consulting firms or small operators, uh, you see a very healthy ecosystem out there of risk management advisory. And I think there's a good reason for that. One is whether, whether an organization, uh, as it breaks out its key risks, wants to accept them or manage them or mitigate them or transfer the risk in one way or another, whether it's insurance or another tool, um, they need people who have a mix of sympathy and objectivity. So they're close enough to the in-house perspective, which makes risk relevant and real, uh, but at the same time, they're not swept up in the day-to-day, -day, which, is, which is one of the enemies of improved risk management practices. So I think for those who offer, whether, it's their, whether they're bringing a framework or a system, or whether it's just a, a sympathetic and a sensible ear and some experience, I think that ecosystem of people like yourself who are consultants and advisors um, has has a real role to play now, and 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 it's obvious that companies, small-ish, mid-sized, mid-sized and large, put a lot of their trust in in the kind of advisors who can translate, you know, textbook answers and the terrain on the ground because you've always got to cover that gap between the map and the terrain. You want to get to something like the map or the picture of of the model risk management practice, but you've got to work with the people you have the liabilities and situation of the organization. And you've also got to work with the entrenched habits and incentives that you may want to try to shape or mold or improve. So how do we create such framework? What should be the premise and uh, who should lead the, such initiative? Well, I mean, uh, speaking, speaking from our perspective, I mean, I think at Tracker, we, we like to uh, look for people who are looking to lead the way 
relative to the maturity of their sector. So they're looking to make a mark and, and, and set a good example um, by moving up the maturity curve, whether they're just bootstrapping a program almost from nothing or from you know, spreadsheets and documents to, to something that's more living and dynamic and uh, thoroughly connected in terms of making you know, different pieces of information speak to each other. For example, people that are on the ground, mitigations that you're pursuing, actions that are outstanding, risks that may cover different business areas. I think a kind of collaborative approach involving consultants, tools, uh, coach, and, and champions inside uh, an organization, whether they're risk professionals or not, um, is a way forward because I think um, success in that kind of risk management practice will be imitated just like other successful imitations are, whether they're technological or whether they're, whether they're the design of the workplace. Yes, very true. Now, you know, the, one of the bigger challenges that we see is because of the approach, how enterprises have been operating so far. Today's, if you look at it, today's uh, any enterprise across, you know, nations, it's government industries, organizations and academia, they largely operate in silo. We talked about that earlier as individual and independent entities across nations and these silo operations of uh, these enterprises that is in existence uh, today, it, it creates a barrier or obstacle to managing integrated risk. So how can we change? How can we bring together a structure or a framework or an approach where we bring or where we break all these silos and we come together, even if, you know, at a national level or an industry level to manage the integrated risks that are emerging? How do we change that culture to manage it, to break those silos? Well, I mean, I, I think I'll stand by what I said a little earlier, which is I think that the, the best determinant or the strongest single determinant is incentives. And so if you, if you cannot uh, create or, or shore up incentives that align with improved risk management practices, you're going to have trouble taking a step forward. But I'll, I'll also give, it, it sometimes sounds like a kind of blanket or soft answer, but education, because it can sometimes be simple things that make a big difference, is often a good start. So I think, you know, at the provincial level of government here in Canada, there's a, an initiative to educate uh, directors and people who work under what we call our deputy ministers uh, in simple things like the bow tie. And the value of something simple like that is that it has great narrative force, right? It's a very simple diagram and it helps you think in a kind of linear or directional way about risk. It's, it's one thing to name risks, but it's another to think, what is the actual event you're talking about? And then from that, how would you look uh, to the causes that can either make that event more or less likely? And then in terms of the relevant, uh, relevance of the event, post-event, what are the impacts that actually make that meaningful to us? And what does it mean to mitigate those things? So it's a simple tool, but if you have shared literacy across you know, dozens or hundreds of people in an organization who suddenly have a reference point to make their conversations a bit more linear or at least more narrative, um, you'd, you'd have to be quite cynical, I think, to say that that could not have a positive impact, at least incrementally. Certainly, I think in terms of literacy, um, the ability or the willingness to look around corners a tiny bit, to start sharing insights from the front line where one person works against another. It's, it's certainly something from a collegial standpoint that, that I do with my colleagues. Uh, and, and also, of course, a little bit of resilience, because I think if people at least have that kind of, you know, uh, duck and cover literacy about risk management, when something happens, they know 
how do they start zeroing in on the causes that are that are contributing or, or did contribute to this? And and also, you know, between now and the worst possible effects of, of what's happened, what what are some of the impacts that can be met or, or or cut off at the at the earliest point? Right. So, I mean, I think education is not as powerless a tool as, as you know, we might be tempted to think. Yes, very true. I mean, developing a culture of risk awareness is very, very critical and essential to the success of nations, especially in this digital global age. And uh, that is, that's the reason establishing integrated risk management framework that includes all components of a nation. That means governments, industries, organizations, academia, and even individuals, I think is the way to build a risk conscious culture and society. But the question is how to uh, how do we build that? We how do we come up with a framework? Well, we have you know proposed a framework that would perhaps you know bring all these components together. It is still you know th there are so many obstacles, challenges to be able to achieve what we define on paper. Because to define on paper is one thing, to put together thoughts and leadership on that is one thing, but to actually be able to implement that kind of framework is a whole another thing. And uh, Another, you know, important uh, uh, critical point that I see critical barrier is that most organizations are actively focusing on financial risk, legal risk, compliance risk, operational risk, but the much needed focus on strategic security risk, which consists almost 70% of the overall risk portfolio is non-existence, you know, in my assessment, where I, as I see, you know, uh, entities across uh, nations, you know, how they manage their security risk. So understanding the strategic security risk due to changing global fundamentals and rapidly changing uh, technology and rapid changes in service models, product models, uh, global competition and lack of effective governance is a vital necessity for every nation. So uh, do you see the your uh, concern about the lack of focus on strategic security risk? Well, I, I think I think there is a response. Uh, I, I think there is an interest in it, and it's it's one way in which uh, top-down initiatives can be helpful. Uh, I think you're more likely now to have a CEO or the C-suite, the top of the house, think of risk management as a strategic mandate, where if only by leading by example and and communicating effectively, uh, they need to put capabilities in place to improve. The, the risk management resilience, the risk management uh, muscle of the organization. And I think boards are uh, increasingly curious and literate. Uh, and we talked about this, you know, their, their desire to get meaningful briefings that are both timely and uh, netted out to help them uh, from a governance perspective, not from a management or, or meddling perspective, stay on top of this really complicated space of multidimensional risks that surround and you know, threaten any kind of organization, whether or not, you know, even those ones which have been described as too big to fail. Uh, there's, there's no doubt that uh, there's, a, there's a kind of scrutiny and accountability. Some of that comes from publicity. Some of that comes from what you might call political risk or reputational risk. But I also think at the same time, um, you know, executives have their ear to the ground. So the, the sort of thing that's happening in a small and highly balkanized way right now, you and I are talking, this podcast format has been transformative in a lot of areas. Um, it's, 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 it's taken a lot of areas of education outside the walls of the brick and mortar university, outside the campus. The same thing is happening professionally. People are pretty candid 
I say this because I've spoken to people and and communicated with people worldwide in different organizations because I want to know how they defined ERM and IRM and what they thought was was the essential. And uh, I think people are are sharing peer perspectives through platforms like LinkedIn much more broadly than they would have even five, certainly 10 years ago. So that creates um, the the bottom up reserve of uh, of insights and just the communication and the hammering out of what some of the the problems are and what some of the the positive options in front of us are. And I think it behooves executives and boards to listen to that. And I think they are. I think they're attentive. They're keeping their ear to the ground uh, so so that they they understand um, what what's happening on the front lines. And at the same time, as I said before, but just just to recap it, I think they 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 see it as more and more important to set the kind of example that will underscore. Uh, the incentives and the behaviors at uh, the person by person level that will make a difference for an organization and and systemically I know you're focused on the sort of the, the idea of the, of the of the nationwide resilience or the responsiveness and the, the accountability yes absolutely and that there is a hope in that now as we evaluate the current state of integrated risk management across nations I think it's becoming increasingly clear that effective risk management integrated risk management can only be achieved through collective, comprehensible, and consistent risk management framework, methodology, terminology, processes, and approach that is implemented by everyone, individuals and entities across nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia. So an effective cybersecurity risk management framework or an effective risk integrated risk management framework should motivate everyone to play a role in preventing and managing this risks that are emerging, the integrated risks that are emerging and thereby contributing towards security for not only their enterprise, but their nation, their industry, their nation, and the global you know, community, the humanity itself. So what would you like to tell our global viewers and listeners what about your concerns, where they need to focus, and especially those young minds who are very keen on making a difference, coming up with difference, you know, models and structure and processes and framework and products to manage, you know, not to come up with not only new way of doing things, but also new way of managing uh, integrated risk or security risk, you know, emerging from within their nation or from across their nation's uh, geographical boundaries. Well, I, I guess one thing that uh, I should say to sort of round out what we've talked about is is uh, think about risk in terms of upside as well as downside, right? So, I mean, I think we've spent most of our time, and it's understandable uh, today, talking about um, you know managing the downside of risk. But of course, uh, you know, uncertainty is usually an opportunity as well as a threat, uh, and so uh, you know whether it's the chance to determine whether you're uh, overreacting to some risks, uh, or whether it's the opportunity to effect savings uh, or, or secure wins by uh, exploiting the uncertainty around a risk event that others don't see. Um, there's a lot of kind of buccaneering opportunity in the world of risk. I mentioned that because you said, you know, if you, if you want to say something to the world, so to speak, I think people are often inspired more by the opportunity to achieve something positive and uh, unprecedented as much as they are by avoiding disaster. You know, in some ways people are more inspired by the idea of getting upside than avoiding downside. And I, I think, you know, that's goes back a little bit to that ISO definition of uh, uncertainty and objectives. You know, uncertainty 
creates uh, normally opportunities to realize objectives that an absolutely fatalistic environment wouldn't have. So uh, th there are good and bad examples of people capitalizing on risk. I mean, I think there's a case to be made that the uh, financial crisis around 2008 involved people uh, capitalizing on risk in a way that's not, not always admirable. But um, I, I think looking at risk as a chance, an area where you can work and think and contribute uh, towards upside or value add is one of the more inspiring ways to think about the risk management pro uh, pro uh, process, the risk management practice. I think that was transformative for the finance function in a lot of companies some some decades ago. And you know, if if you think in a very uh, woolly or gauzy or abstract visionary way uh, for risk management in the future, it may make its biggest splash by achieving measurable upside. I think if you build a better mousetrap in that way, some way that's dollarized, certainly the world will pay attention. Yes, very true. Now we know, well, we always have to talk about, well, uh, we have to identify the risk and we have to identify the vulnerabilities. We have to talk about the downside. There is absolutely, you know, a need to discuss the upside. We need to discuss about the uh, objectives and goals and where we see opportunities to making uh, our current processes, our framework and our models, you know, much more stronger that are, that can bring us resilience for the age that we live in and uh, there is you know not enough time to talk about all of that in one hour discussion but we discussed you know very broadly about uh, if we have effective framework uh, to manage the integrated risk and why we need to you know uh, come up with an effective framework and what needs to be the parameters of that we were able to cover that very you know broadly but there is certainly you know probably one more hour we can spend on this to discuss about you know the how the effect, how the current frameworks that we have, what strengths they bring and where we need to, you know, uh, reevaluate and redefine the certain components of it so that we can manage, uh, we can bring more effectiveness, more, you know, resilience in our risk management frameworks. Because I, I think that, you know, uh, probably we have the meaning of risk management uh, is itself a little bit, you know, we have moved away from that. What actually should be, you know, we doing when we try to manage the risk. So we have to come uh, come back and you know clearly understand what risk needs to be you know managed. What, what actually risk management uh, should mean and whether we are actually making effort to do that. So having said that, thank you so much, Dr. Smith, for participating in Risk Roundup today. We appreciate your thoughtful insight on managing integrated risk and. I'm sure our global viewers and listeners will benefit tremendously from the information you shared on the need for managing integrated risk and the current state that you see across nations. So even if a single individual or entity can manage that integrated risk effectively based on the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service and we thank you for that. Thank you very much. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Wonderful. So uh, Risk Roundup, a global initiative launched by Risk Group, is a security risk reporting for risk emerging from existing and emerging technologies, technology conversions and transformation happening across cyberspace, geospace and space. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security and peace, they all walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secure for everyone across nations. 
tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risk together. For more information on the Risk Roundups, to watch the Risk Roundup webcast or hear the Risk Roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayshree, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.